And here's what our God says. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So while they were saying, what does he mean by a little while, uh, we do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she, is, she, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice And no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and, and, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father And I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to ask, uh, anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and, 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 will, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word. There's no word like your word. In your kindness and in all of your perfections, you would give us this word that we've just read this morning. And our prayer is that by the same Spirit who 
moved John to pen these words, that that same Spirit would now be in our midst, working in our hearts and lives, changing us through the agency of your Word by your Spirit. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I've just read is the last segment of instruction from Jesus to his disciples on the eve of his arrest and crucifixion. There's one last segment, of course. It's chapter 17, which we'll look at over the next three weeks, Lord willing. And, but, but John 17 is Jesus' prayer for himself and for his people and for the world. But, but these were the final instructions. His death and, 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 and all the troubles and all the sorrow that is associated with his death and his burial uh, is, is all that is in view here in this passage. And yet what's also in view is not just his arrest and death and burial, but what also is in view here is the game-changing resurrection on the third day. While there is much for Jesus to face, over the next 24 hours from what we've just read in this passage, his concern at this moment is not for himself. His concern is for his people. They are still very unsettled. They are still very ill-prepared for what awaits both Jesus and them. I say they're ill-prepared, not because Jesus has not instructed them and taught them, but it's just a reminder of something that this unit has taught us, and that's the absolute necessity for the Spirit of God to fall upon God's people that we might comprehend and understand what God's Word says to us. Two things I want us to think about in what we've just read this morning. And I really want to just take a, a, a couple of, 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 of words, a couple of verses, and, and have us zero in on those verses. The first one that I want us to hone in on is the very last one I read, verse 33. I have said these things to you that, that in me you may have peace. In the, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's tribulation, there's troubles that we need to think about this morning. But then the other thing I want us to think about is located uh, in verse 20 and 22. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice, you will, you will be sorrowful, uh, but your sorrow will turn to joy. There's troubles and there's sorrow. 
I want us to understand that Jesus is always concerned about the troubles and sorrows of his people. If, if he's able to focus upon the troubles and sorrows of his people on the eve of his own crucifixion, think how much more now that he is at the Father's right hand where he intercedes for his people, how much more is he able to attend to and to focus upon the troubles and the sorrows of his people? Let me define a couple of terms here, if you would, what I'm going to call these things. What will I call troubles? Well, our troubles are, are, that, that relates to our situation. Troubles are situational. Troubles are those things that are going on around us. Not to distract you, but you could probably think of some troubles, some things in your situation this day, this week, this past week that, that are in the category of troubles. And what I want us to see before we're done this morning is that Jesus provides peace to his people even when his people are surrounded with troubles. The second thing I want us to think about this morning is anchored to the word sorrows or grief. Sorrows, unlike troubles, troubles are situational. There's, they are what's going on around you. Sorrows are now maybe rooted in those troubles, but they're what's landed inside of you. They're what's going on within us. Troubles are situational. Sorrows are intrapersonal. Sorrows are, are a bit of the load uh, that we feel pressing in on us, perhaps most likely because of the troubles that are leaning in on, on us. And what Jesus offers to us in our sorrows is joy, even as what he offers to us in our troubles is peace. So let's think about these a bit more for just a couple more moments this morning. Peace and joy. This is not the first time that Jesus has talked about this in chapters 13 through 17, the unit that we've been making our way through this summer. Um, But but what he's saying now is not altogether something new. It's just he's reinforcing what he's already said to us in chapter 14 and chapter 15, earlier in chapter 16, about the peace that he provides his people in our troubles and about the joy that he provides for his people in our sorrows. Now, why do we need to be reminded of these things? Why did Jesus need to, like, keep bringing this topic up again? Uh, Why did he keep reinforcing this? Well, it's an act of kindness because, you know, there is something about troubles, the things that occur outside of us and around us, there's something about troubles that inclines us to lose sight of where peace is found. You, can, I, you and I could sit here this morning and think, got it, this week, whatever troubles come, peace. And then this week, when the troubles come, you're like, huh? What was that he said? Because there's something about troubles as they start on the outside in our situation. And they, they press in on us. They begin to squeeze us from the outside. And, and, and we lose sight of where peace is found. In whom peace is found. It's the same way with sorrows. 
when the troubles land on us and begin to influence our hearts. There's something uh, about sorrows that influence us to lose sight of joy and where joy is found, or more particularly, in whom joy is found. Now think about what's going on in this passage. Following Christ does not exempt us from either troubles, things going on around us, nor does it exempt us from sorrows, things landing within us. But Because at this moment, troubles and sorrows are not freakish anomalies. They are part of the routine of what it means to still live in a fallen world. But praise God, the gospel has that covered as well. If you were to peek and read at the end of the book in Revelation 21, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And when, when God comes down and dwells on this earth, remakes everything, when he remakes everything, guess what won't be here? There won't be a shred of trouble in the new heavens and the new earth. There won't be an ounce of sorrow in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus is strong enough and able enough. His resurrection is victorious enough that that the future has already been settled. But at this moment, in his wisdom, in his timing, even in his goodness to us, he allows troubles and sorrows to linger. Not, 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 not meaning, oh, I'll see you later down the road where there's no troubles or no sorrows, but, but he comes down by his spirit and indwells us. And what he provides to us in a world of trouble is peace. What he provides us in a heartache of sorrow is joy. He says, again, verse 30, 33, as he's been explaining everything to, to his disciples, he says, I have said these things to you um, that, you may have, uh, that you may have peace in the world. In the world you will have tribulation. He, he, in other words, he, he's telling them, now, hey, guys, heads up. This is what's going down. This is what's coming. This is what will happen. Now, why does Jesus do that? I think if we're we're paying attention, why does he tell us in advance what's coming? So that perhaps by his grace, when what happens, happens, and he's told us that it's going to happen, and what he told us is going to happen, happens, then perhaps we will realize at that moment the Lord's utter control and complete faithfulness to us at the moment that what he says would happen to us would happen to us. There's one thing I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen this week. I don't know what awaits the Lord's church. If I was a Uh, a smart pronosticator of future trends, I would say it's not going to go well in the future for the Lord's church. Protesters burning Bibles in Seattle, churches, while other places are able to gather and and meet in casinos or whoever, what else, churches are forbidden from meeting. 
it seems like it's more than just a COVID issue. There are pastors this morning who have been threatened with arrest if they gathered their congregations together for worship. I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't need to know what's going to happen. What I need to know, what you and I need to know, is that our Lord knows what's going to happen. Our Lord knows, and He is strong, and He is faithful. And Jesus wants us to know that whatever troubles we face... He himself says, I I will be abandoned by all. And and then he turns right around and says, except for my father. In this world, you and I should assume troubles. We don't have to go looking for them. But we should assume that they will come our way. And yet what is provided for us, what our Lord provides for us in our troubles is peace, not a cessation of troubles, nor a numbness to go and hide from our troubles, nor a passivity in which we could care less about our troubles, but a peace, a courage, a strength, a contentment, a resolve that we can face our troubles because Jesus gives peace to his people. But it is his divine grace dished out to us by the Holy Spirit of God that no matter what situation we are in, our hearts can be okay with that. Our hearts can be strengthened with hope in that. See, what should be the response of God's people in the face of troubles? Should we learn how to fight fire with fire? They give it to us, we give it right back to them? No, when troubles come our way, the real issue is not, can we fight bigger and stronger and better than they? But can we remember that our battle is not even really against flesh and blood? It's against principalities and powers in the high places. And that ours is to give a testimony that no matter what trouble you try to send my way in my situation, my Lord provides peace. Second thing I want to say quickly is not only does peace come even when surrounded by troubles, but joy comes right through the experience of sorrows. Here in the immediate context, when he talks about, hey, in just a little while, you're going to be heartbroken. You're going to be grieved. And, and yet, in a little while longer, while the world is rejoicing, you're no longer, no longer going to be grieved, but you're going to rejoice. And in the immediate context, what he's describing is something that is actually happening in time and space and history. He's describing when you guys see me uh, uh, laid out on that cross, suffocating and bleeding and dying on that cross. Your hearts will ache. You will know sorrow at that moment. But hang on. That sorrow is not permanent. That sorrow has a time stamp. And that sorrow has an expiration date on it. And it expires in three days. 
And yet what he's telling us in the larger picture of things is that the destination of joy runs through the places of sorrow. In other words, how do you get from here to there? How do you get from here to the destination of joy? There's no interstate bypass. There's just the old road that runs right through the town of sorrow. And yet what he says is, is that, is that, is that it, here's the promise. The promise is not, not that, we, that we will have, be able to avoid sorrow. The promise is not that, that there will be an immediate elimination of sorrow. But, but what he's telling us, in essence, is but there is a perspective, a truth, a reality that, that provides stability. There is a larger perspective on life at this moment. And that is, yes, sorrow lands on our hearts, but It's a temporary gig. It's not permanent. It's not permanent on the one hand because of the supernatural influx of joy. Something that Jesus said earlier about this joy. He says, my joy I give to you. And remember, and and while he was the one who went to the cross, he's the one who was the man of sorrows that bore up under the burden of our sin. We are told in Hebrews that, but yet for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, suffering its shame. He had joy while he went through the cross. He says, now that joy that I had going to the cross, I'll share it with you. I'll give it to you richly, abundantly. It's not, the, it's not the elimination or the eradication of sorrow that provides joy, but it is the kind grace that even while we would still be tasting sorrow, we could taste something of Jesus' sweet joy. Now, I say these are supernatural realities, but I'm telling you, these are supernatural realities based upon not my opinion or, my, or, or just some sort of philosophical concept. These are supernatural realities because of the historical certainties. We've already been here and done this. Jesus has already bore up under the sorrow of the cross with joy. Jesus has already died and was buried, uh, and, but yet Jesus, praise God, has already been raised from from the dead. This is not us having to say, whew, I sure hope it works out. This is us declaring it has already worked out. It's already worked out. How do you know? Do you find anybody in that tomb? I'm just saying. The pathway for joy, the, uh, it runs right through the place of sorrow. Why? Because that's how Jesus provides it to us. Now, I can be happy without any troubles. I can be happy without any sorrow. In fact, in my own natural realm, that's how I prefer it. I prefer to be happy because everybody is treating me nice, and everybody likes me, and everybody sings my praises, and everybody... That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when nobody likes me, when everybody is against me, when all the troubles are, are pressing in and, and the heavy sorrow of my heart is feeling the full brunt of it at this moment. Jesus says, at that moment, 
I've got the gift of joy for you. Do you realize what an opportunity the church has if things go sideways and, and we're no longer the popular kids in town, we're no longer the, the, the dominant cultural influence that we thought we might have once been? What, 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 what if we are the, a subdominant uh, influence in our culture who is scorned and despised? And what if that makes our hearts heavy and sorrow? Then you and I had this opportunity to testify that our joy is not found in whatever sort of power we thought we had in our culture. Our joy is found because Jesus has laid down his life for us. He has walked through the path of sorrow and on the other end of that offers his joy to his people who walk through that same path. You see, the church, the assembly of Christ's people, (laughs) everything we've got going for us rests not on our courage, not on our greatness, not on our virtue, not on our political savvy, but it rests on Christ. And therefore, our focus must be upon Christ. Our ongoing need is for Christ. And the immediate challenge at the moment for the church is to be focused upon Christ. Now, I'll I'll finish with this, and I'll finish in a way that maybe kind of throws us off completely. I've talked about joy. I've talked about peace. I've talked about peace in our troubles. I've talked about joy in our sorrows. And yet, I don't want you to leave out of here this morning thinking that this was about, how do I get me some of that peace? How do I get me some of that joy? Oh, that's a reality, but that's not the issue. The issue is, how do I receive Jesus? How do I come to Christ? Because what I have said is that these things of peace and joy, they are not just ephemeral concepts that float around the universe. These are spiritual realities that are rooted in the historical person of Jesus. The issue is not how do I get me, me some peace and joy. The issue is how do I follow Jesus? Because Jesus is strong enough and faithful enough to do everything he promises and everything he says. He gives peace and he gives joy to his people no matter what our troubles, no matter what our sorrows. They come from Jesus and they are found in Jesus and the certainty of these things being found in Jesus is anchored in the historical reality of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It is through Jesus that we get to experience this wonderful verse 27, verse 27, for the Father himself loves you. I realize that some of you have never had a father that loves you. And I realize that the, 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 the incredible hurt and trouble and sorrow that provokes. But I'm here to declare the end of that this morning. 
I'm here to declare that you no longer have to go around wondering what it's like to be well-loved by a father. I am here to declare to you that not just any old dad, but the eternal heavenly father, the creator of all things, is now the father that, can, that you can, can feel the warmth and the genuineness and the care of his love. And yet that comes through Jesus, the one who truly is the son of God. You and I can be adopted into that family. We have to turn from ourselves. We have to turn from whatever sort of religious notions we have of, I'm going to do this right on my own. We have to turn from whatever good works that we think might uh, put a smile on God's face and make him sit up and take notice of us. We've got to turn and run from any of that, and we have to run to Jesus. He's the only one who lived a perfect life. He's the only one who has died as a perfect sacrifice. He's the only one who is at the Father's right hand, and he's the only one who is going to return for his people. And how do I receive Jesus? I turn from myself. I turn from my sin. I turn from my religious performance. I turn from any host of that sort of stuff, and I abandon it quicker than a heart, a heart attack, and I run to Jesus. I trust only in him. I acknowledge that he is the only one worthy to be declared Lord over my life. Turn to Christ this morning. Turn to Christ Turn to the one who says, you have rebelled against me. You deserve death because of that. But if you turn to me this morning, I grant amnesty. I grant pardon and forgiveness. But wait, I don't just merely pardon you. I adopt you into my father's family. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. And in Christ, his peace and his joy are now what can govern our hearts and guide our steps on this day. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word orients us to the Lord and not to ourselves. Thank you for how your word redirects us away from trusting in our own merit and how it warrants us to trust only in Christ. We thank you that we've seen a testimony of that already this morning publicly, but we would pray, Father, that in your kindness, in the power of your Spirit, that you would awaken our eyes afresh this morning, that if there are those who've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, they would begin that journey now. Help us, Father, as a church to know how to care and shepherd your sheep through the journey of following Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the incredible grace that you dispense to us. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's